Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Wildfires burned nearly 7 million acres in California in the past two years alone. Cal Fire has been crucial in the effort to fight those fires. But when it comes to the effort to prevent fires from becoming as destructive as they've been, the agency has struggled. Months of reporting by the California Newsroom show that despite being given a record $1.5 billion from the state last year for wildfire prevention and forest health, CAL FIRE has not made key hires or met important deadlines. We learn more after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Californians have come to accept that addressing our worsening wildfire situation will mean more than aggressively putting out fast-moving wildfires. It will also mean working hard to prevent them from burning out of control in the first place. In other words, we've become familiar with the need for what's summed up in the bureaucratic phrase, forest management. And to that end, the state last year set aside a record $1.5 billion for what it called wildfire and forest resilience. But an investigation by the California Newsroom finds Cal Fire has struggled to ramp up their wildfire prevention efforts. And joining me now are the reporters behind the investigation. Danielle Venton is science reporter for KQED News. Hey, Danielle. Good morning, Mina. Glad to have you and glad to have Scott Rod, state government reporter for Capital Public Radio. Hi, Scott. Hi, good morning. Good morning. So, Danielle, let me start off with you. First, what do we mean when we say forest management? What kinds of things does it cover? Forest management is caring for the forest, caring for the land. And it can look like a number of things. Those might include setting prescribed burns, doing thinning either through with hand thinning or mechanical thinning. In certain circumstances, it might mean grazing even. Um, but it is a, it's all about land stewardship. And we know that our forests in California and in the West receive stewardship at the hands of Native people for tens of thousands of years and evolved to coexist with fire and with being cared for. What many of us think of, though, when we think of Cal Fire may not necessarily be um, land stewardship, prescribed burns, brush clearing that you mentioned, Danielle. It's often the heroic efforts to fight wildfires, which have become increasingly catastrophic and have really taken their toll 
on firefighters. Scott, can you just talk a little bit about the reality that CAL FIRE is facing right now, what they grapple with day by day? Absolutely. We're, we're facing a wildfire reality like we haven't seen before, you know, in the history of, of CAL FIRE, and that goes back over a century. Uh, the fires we're seeing now are extreme, and every Californian knows this. If it's not, if, if fires aren't burning in their backyard, they're seeing images on on the TV at night. They're breathing in the smoke from these fires, and so you know, Cal Fire has a tremendous challenge that it's facing, and it's been facing this challenge for for years now, where these fires are just, in some cases uncontainable and they do their best to shepherd these fires away from communities so at the same time as trying to address these fires suppress them when they break out cal fire also has a part of their mission part of their central mission is is supposed to be land management forest management i should say in fire prevention work it's actually in their name their official name is the department of forestry and fire protection cal fire is more of a branding and so this falls under their mission um but there have been folks including past chiefs and our current chief joe tyler who say that forestry and forest management fire prevention it at times has receded into the shadow of fire suppression but ultimately experts say that there really needs to be a greater balance here between these two obligations. Yeah, in fact, Scott, you and Danielle talked with a CAL FIRE director from the 90s, Richard Wilson, and I want to play a cut of him that you provided to us talking about that shift. It used to be the Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. and it, As long as I was there, it was forestry. When I left, they dropped the foresters, and it's now a fire a very good fire department, but it's not a forestry department. So, Scott, are you saying that, in part, the fires have become really bad because they have moved away from their focus on forestry? I mean, there are many reasons, as we just pointed out, that fires have become really bad. But do you document this as a contributing factor? You know, there there are a number of factors, like you said, climate change is one of them, certainly in the general state of forest lands and wildlands in our state, which is overgrown. They're, you know, no longer contacting lower intensity fire, which, as Danielle had described at the beginning of the program, you know, has become part of the environment and became sort of a natural, more reoccurring element of the environment thousands of years ago. A bigger piece of this is that suppression, and experts say this across the board by and large, that a century or so of suppression, attacking fires head on, making them as small as possible, um, has resulted in forests becoming overgrown. They're just heavily loaded with fuels that can burn and burn at high intensity, especially when you combine that with climate change, higher temperatures, drought, higher winds. Um, And so, you know, Experts say essentially that this work needs to be ramped up. You know, they say that what we're doing right now and what we've been doing in past years isn't enough. We have to scale up this work significantly. Some are saying, you know, tackle a million acres a year. You know, that's a kind of a rough metric, but that's the scope that they're saying we need to be doing. And right now we're just not close to that. Mm. So tackle tackle a million acres with things like forest thinning, with creating fuel breaks. And as you mentioned, Danielle Venton, one of the strategies is prescribed burns as a preventative effort. Can you tell us more about how CAL FIRE is implementing this strategy and some of the issues that you found with that? Yes, CAL FIRE has committed to 
conducting more prescribed burns. But it is unlikely that the agency on their own will ever get to the scale of burns that we really need to have a more resilient fire future. So a key component of their strategy is to diversify the workforce and to be able to have people who do not necessarily work for a fire agency like CAL FIRE or for the Forest Service participate in these burns. And to that end, in 2018, the legislature passed a bill that was designed to boost the prescribed fire workforce. In partic- And one aspect of that was to create a training program for people who had a lot of experience in working with fire and to give them a state certification to be able to conduct burns. This is what we call burn bosses. They they manage burns and mm. write burn plans. The first course for this got underway a year ago in May. And people who took the course thought that they very quickly would be issued their certificates of attendance and then would be given the paperwork that they needed to conduct some training burns and and then get their certification and be on their way to be able to do this, these protective burns. We found it suffered almost a year of delay. And through Public Records Act requests, I looked at some internal CAL FIRE emails and found that one of the reasons for the delay was uh, one of the bureaucratic holdups was that CAL FIRE unit chiefs were not on board with the program, even though it was mandated by the legislature. Um, and... When I checked last week uh, with CAL FIRE, only two people in the state have received their state certification for this burn burn boss program. And getting this training is really important, right? Because prescribed burns are very complicated. I mean, it can be catastrophic if they get out of control, which is extremely rare. But we are hearing, of course, about the controlled burn that got out of control in New Mexico. Um, But they are very complicated things that require a lot of well-trained burn bosses, as you call them. They require a lot of training, and they also require the support of a large, of of an agency like CAL FIRE or the Forest Service to to support a burn boss in case in case anything does go wrong. Um, if you are going to be on the hook for the liability of, of a fire escaping, then most burn bosses would not would never do that. And so so burn bosses who receive the state certification, they have the backing of CAL FIRE and the support of CAL FIRE in case suppression resources are needed, and they can tap into a state liability fund in case anything goes wrong. As you said, it's extremely rare. It is less than I believe it's 0.16% of the time um, a does a prescribed fire escape and cause damage? They are, they are, you have to be very cautious and very careful, but they are absolutely crucial to having a better fire future. They are among the best tools that we have to protect against future catastrophic fires. But so far, there are only two, and about how many would you say we need? I, well, I can tell you that more than or 20. What's the goal? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, this is um, the more the better is, is what many, um, many experts would think, would say. Um, but there have been um, multiple dozens of people who have gone through this course and 
have uh, the background training that they need. Um, but we are seeing just a just a very slow progress in being able to to boost this workforce and many of the experts I've spoken to just want to see this change happen much faster. Yeah. And Scott, Danielle mentioned that there wasn't necessarily a tremendous amount of support for prescribed burns. Is that pointing to a cultural issue within CAL FIRE? Um, I would say part of it, you know, I would say, I would argue that it goes even beyond CAL FIRE. I think, you know, in general, uh, there was a book that read by a fire expert uh, named Stephen Pine, and he talked about how just in general, our society has grown averse to seeing fire in general, seeing it as something dangerous, and Mm. it certainly can be. But as Danielle mentioned, for millennia, fire was introduced directly to the landscape. Many, many millions of acres would burn in California before California was a thing. Um, just by by um, indigenous people setting fire to the land, they were often much lower intensity fires. So in terms of it being a cultural thing, I would point to it as a cultural thing for society at large. Um, fire, again, is a really dangerous thing, but it can be used as a tool for you know, getting our forests and our wildlands into, uh, you know, a more resilient, uh, a more resilient form. Now, when it comes to Cal Fire specifically, uh, when we spoke to the chief, he acknowledged that, you know, there are cultural things that he would like to change that, uh, and and part of it comes down to this idea of rebalancing, rebalancing their focus to look at both suppression and prevention forest management equally. That's a cultural thing that the chief says he would like to do. Mm. We're talking with Scott Rod, state government reporter for Capital Public Radio, and Danielle Venton, a science reporter for KQED News about Cal Fire's responsibility on the wildfire prevention and forest land management side and why it struggled to put a $1.5 billion investment from the state into it to really good use efficiently. We'll have more about that after the break. Stay with us, listeners. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. Ibram X. Kendi, author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, has a new book, How to Raise an Anti-Racist, a guide for parents and caregivers, where he also shares his own experience of not wanting to talk about race with his own daughter at first. How do you talk to your kids about race? What questions do you have about how to raise an anti-racist? You can share them ahead of the show by emailing forum at kqed.org or leaving a voicemail at 415-553-3300. 
Today, we're talking about the California newsroom investigation into CAL FIRE with Scott Rod, state government reporter for Capital Public Radio, and Danielle Benton, science reporter for KQED News. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. Tell us if you've had interactions with Cal, with Cal FIRE, either as firefighters or working in fire prevention. Um, how has your home, your community, how have you tried to prevent wildfires or work to try to prevent wildfires? You can tell us by posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or at KQED Forum. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can email comments to forum at kqed.org. And Beth writes, we live in Calaveras County where the 2015 Butte fire occurred that we are still recovering from. I would like to note that Cal Fire firefighters are awesome. Many live in our community. It's the bureaucrats and politicians who have never fought fires, never lived in the Sierras, who often call the shots when it comes to what Cal Fire does. Toss in the federal government who oversees federal lands that back up on state and private land. And you can end up with a situation where folks sitting behind a desk are telling Cal Fire what to do. What do you think about that comment, Danielle, in terms of, you know, this sense that, Cal Fire firefighters are awesome, and and it's really bureaucratic issues that are stopping them from doing the things that they need to do. What did your investigation find? I appreciate that comment, but I guess I would like to interject a little a little more complexity. Many of the people who are in senior positions at Cal Fire have come up through the ranks and have experience working on fires. So I don't think that they're necessarily disconnected from what it's like to fight fires. Um, There is also a a feeling in the public that Cal Cal Fire firefighters are heroic. And and they, they, you know, they are in many ways. They do extraordinarily difficult, extraordinarily important work. And we are not trying to diminish that or take away from that in any way. What is what is clear is that we are at an age right now, we're at a stage in our climate and in the state of our forests, where some fires cannot effectively be fought anymore. And so what we have to do is to get ahead of those and do prevention work before that. And so I would pose the question of if we think that firefighters are heroic when they save our towns and you know, I'm very grateful for the work they do. Do we also view it as heroic when they set a prescribed fire, or when they cut a fire break, when they do forest thinning? What about when they conduct defensible space inspections around our homes? You know, we have heard reports of of Cal Fire staff going out to conduct defensible space inspections and getting really harassed by homeowners and kind of, you know, verbally abused. Mm. Um, that is that is also work that is protective and that makes us safer in the future. So so I, I guess I would encourage all of us to think about kind of the whole suite of necessary steps to make us safer and more resilient to fires in the future. Well, and I think that underscores what you were saying, Scott, about just a broader cultural shift that is contributing to this. As you say, though, they are trying to make these efforts to try to, for example, uh, hire more people who are focused on fire management. Can you just talk a little bit about what you are finding in terms of of that hiring process? One of the things that I know that you found was that there 
emphasis on firefighting has come at a cost to hiring efficiently for fire managers and other people with those expertise. Yeah, so we looked at the, you know, basically the $1.5 billion that was set aside last year for wildfire resilience, catastrophic fire prevention, and the bulk of that did go to CAL FIRE. And we saw that there have been about half of that $1.5 billion has been uh, allocated. It may be more than half now um, towards projects. It's been committed to projects. The spending of it will take some time to actually get that money on the ground, potentially even up to seven years. Um, but we also looked at hiring, not just individual projects, but how is CAL FIRE prioritizing suppression or, or prevention through its hiring? And we found that the number of firefighting uh, the number of firefighter por- per- personnel, fire protection personnel, as they're called within the department, increased by over a thousand over the last few years. By comparison, bringing that ra- bringing the ranks up to about eight thousand, so you get an understanding of sort of the proportion. By comparison, resource management, which handles vegetation thinning, um, forest management, they increased their ranks by thirty-one people and within the ballpark of about. 500 or so, just over 500 people. So that's the kind of proportional sort of investment in terms of personnel that CAL FIRE has made. And, you know, experts say, look, we understand like there is a need to hire firefighters to make sure that we can, you know, go in and try to contain these fires. And if not contain them, at least direct them away from communities. That is important for sure. But experts say we need to have a complementary increase in the, number, in the people who are doing the work that can try to prevent these fires from breaking out in the first place. I spoke with Margot Robbins. She is the director of the Cultural Fire Management Council, which is up in Humboldt County. She's an expert in prescribed fire and cultural burning. And this is what she had to say about when she took a look at our findings with regard to hiring for suppression versus fire prevention. Let's hear it. Looking at these numbers, it is very obvious to me that they're not putting as much focus as they should be on prevention as opposed to reactionary suppression. If they would focus more on that management piece, I think we would be seeing a very different scenario in terms of wildfires. Well, David writes, can you please explain that CAL FIRE is not alone? How many federal wildland firefighters are there in California? How many CAL FIRE wildland firefighters are there? Can you speak to that, Scott? So the federal government has absolutely been, you know, it's been a challenge for them to hire firefighters. It's been a challenge for them to get this kind of work done, too. So uh, David is absolutely right that, you know, this is not the state's responsibility alone. The federal government does own, is is responsible, is, owns and is responsible for a lot of land in California. Um, like more so than that half of the forest land, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's, yeah, they, they have responsibility over a lot of the forest land in California. Absolutely. So that shouldn't go ignored. Um, It is not the state's responsibility alone by any means, but Cal Fire, you know, we wanted to take a look at this massive investment that was made, this acknowledgement, very public acknowledgement from the Newsom administration and from Cal Fire that they need to, they want to start investing more and being more aggressive about, about fire prevention and forest management 
And it should be it should be noted that they have certainly made progress in some areas. They've increased over time the number of acres they've been doing. Margot Robbins, who you just heard from, said, look, they have been heading in the right direction. They have been supporting us in our cultural burning, uh, but they have a ways to go. So I think there's a nuanced picture here um, that's important to point out. But again, to David's point, yeah, this is not Cal Fire alone. The federal government is a big piece of this for sure. So, Scott, you also mentioned projects, that they've been doing a lot of projects. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you learned in terms of the struggle that CAL FIRE has had to track the progress of these projects. Yeah, experts say that this is a pretty fundamental thing, like a pretty basic thing that has to happen. They would like to see a more nuanced sort of uh, assessment of not, not only where projects are being done, but what's the risk in those areas. But they say at the very least, we should be able to tally the acres that we're doing and also be able to show to the public where are these projects getting done which communities are 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 at risk and which ones are being protected by projects and again when we say projects we're talking about prescribed burning we're talking about uh, vegetation clearing either by hand or through machinery and so we found that cal fire was pretty behind in terms of their total tallying for how many acres they've been completing in recent years. When we reached out to them, they were able to tell us the total that they completed in the fiscal year ending in 2020. And so we, you know, that goes a ways back. They were still tallying the number of acres that they had completed in the fiscal year ending in June 2021. So a whole year ago. So this is a pretty delayed counting of their acreage. And again, the number of acres they've been doing each year has been increasing in the last decade. So that's worth noting. But experts say, man, we, we really have to be taking a close look at how we're tracking these projects, how we're communicating you know, to the public where these projects are. They've also been teasing this platform that they want to that they want to build online, that'll show to the public, where are these projects getting done? You can go in, type in your community, look up your address, but this has taken a really long time. They've been talking about it now for about a year. It still hasn't been, it still hasn't rolled out despite, you know, periodic promises that it's coming and it's coming. So these are things that experts say are really essential to get the public involved, to get the public engaged in fire prevention and forest management. Okay. Danielle, what have you learned about why it's been so hard to, to track this progress? You know, one of the things that we heard uh, time and time again in speaking with people from CAL FIRE is that the the burden uh, and just the, the call the, the – the call of responding to fires that are breaking out, you know, uh, more or less year-round now, um, is just so create such a demand that it can be hard to get to these things. Um, you know, the the burn boss program that I looked at, the the causes for the delay, um, that was you know supposed to get off the ground and then. There was a delay and then fire season hit and then, you know, nothing happened with it for more than six months. So so it and it is true that the that the demands on firefighters is immense. That is an interesting component um, that was that was part of our investigation was um, a suggestion from people like the the chief 
who uh, was in charge of the department in the 90s, uh, Richard Wilson, um, and other policymakers, including some lawmakers, that some of these duties for forest management, for fire prevention, for getting prescribed burns done, actually be taken away from CAL FIRE mm. and given to an, another, another department. Um, so that CAL FIRE can focus on what it's really good at, at the, at the suppression. Um, when, when we asked the current chief what he thought about that, he... Joe Tyler. Joe yeah. Tyler. Um, he said he did not want that. And he thought that his department could, that his workforce could do everything um, and could, could juggle both of those things. It's interesting you bring that up because this listener, Regina, writes, our biggest mistake is expecting CAL FIRE to be 100% responsible for wildfire prevention. CAL FIRE does not cover all areas. We need to wake up to the fact that there are multiple layers to this issue. The state, the county, the city, and the property owners all need to take responsibility for ensuring that dangerous fuel is cleared. We can't sit back and complain that the government is not doing enough or that CAL FIRE is not doing all they can. If we don't work together on this, then it will never get better. Scott, um, Danielle was just talking about how CAL FIRE Director Joe Tyler is not in favor of trying to split these responsibilities. He believes that CAL FIRE can handle it all. But is there a middle ground, like partnerships with other agencies who can do this as well? Some of this partnership is already happening. CAL FIRE actually relies very heavily on local grantees. So this will be fire safe councils, nonprofits, sometimes local governments, uh, organizations that can uh, propose develop and implement these fire prevention forest management projects in these communities. And by and large, there seems to be agreement that this generally is a good way to approach it. These nonprofits, these local governments know their community well. They know the risk that's out there. Some complaints have been, uh, you know, that sometimes it's slow to get the money out. Um, it could be challenging. The, there's a lot of bureaucracy sometimes. But, you know, more money is getting to these grantees. Um, many millions, many millions of dollars are going out. So there already is this kind of partial shared responsibility. But, you know, there are experts who are saying that there needs to be a greater share and there needs to be, um, you know, a bit more, what's the right word, maybe, um, I guess shared responsibility is the best way to put it, um, to allow for other organizations, groups who are capable of doing this work to be able to do it, to be able to do it quickly without many uh, bureaucratic barriers. So yeah. this is already happening, but there is a conversation about should it be should this responsibility be spread out even more? Well, and if I can just add in there, some of my sources who work for nonprofits and who are very active in the fire resilience space, you know, they still really need the cooperation of CAL FIRE. They need them to sign their permits, for example. You know, they may rely on them for grant money. Um, CAL FIRE is definitely not the only game in town, but they have a huge influence on the state of fire in California. They are the primary emergency responders to any fire that breaks out on land that is not either owned by the federal government or by a city. And, um, and you know, one of the things I hear from some of my sources is that some people within CAL FIRE are very progressive and very easy to work with. And then they also encounter uh, this kind of culture of resistance within CAL FIRE that is very scared to um, scared to let, you know, anyone else light a beneficial fire or or, you know, uh, has a has a continues to operate with a real suppression focused mindset. Mm. And I should note um, that 
Cal Fire Director Joe Tyler has also said that he himself identifies the need in areas for improvement within Cal Fire. Let's play this piece of tape that you provided us as well. Uh, in my short tenure as the director and uh, in my time of watching these fires get larger and more damaging uh, since 2014, I sincerely recognize the need to uh, change the way we do uh, and have changed the way that we do business. Yes, I have to change uh, some of the historic culture within CAL FIRE uh, to um, continue our investments, not only in suppression, but also in prevention. We're talking with Danielle Venton, science reporter for KQED News, and Scott Rod, state government reporter for Capital Public Radio, about their months-long California newsroom investigation that finds that CAL FIRE has fumbled key responsibilities to prevent catastrophic wildfires, despite having a record budget and potentially leaving the state as a result at greater risk for catastrophic wildfires. It's just part of some of the many factors that contribute to wildfires. You, our listeners, are joining the conversation, telling us about your reactions to their findings. And also, if you want to share interactions you've had with CAL FIRE, from firefighting to fire prevention, and how you treat them in those moments, as Danielle pointed out, it's not always equal across the board. Um, We'd love to hear your experiences as well. You can email forum at kqed.org, find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at kqedforum, or give us a call at 866-733-6786. Pierrette writes, I've noticed homeowners and property managers here in Marin are often responding to their fire department's directives by almost chainsawing away their landscaping. This leaves matchstick-like odds and ends of chopped shrubbery behind. It's not completely removed and looks very flammable. Should nuance and education be part of prevention? Interestingly, Danielle... Cal Fire has a big role in inspection as well, right? With creating defensible space and educating homeowners about dangers with their vegetation. That is also another area where you found that they're falling short. Yes. Well, to, to address the, the um, listener's question, absolutely, these things are nuanced and education is enormously important. Um, one aspect of our investigation was into um, how successful Cal Fire is at achieving their their goal of inspecting a, a, you know, a property that they're responsible for every three years. And we found that they're really falling short and that in some units they're inspecting less than 10 percent of their of their uh, the homes that they're responsible for every year. Um, you know, it all it all goes back to just the, the pressure that they're under with putting out these fires. We'll have more with Cal Fire. The strain that they're under, but also where the $1.5 billion is going with regard to trying to prevent and make our forests more resilient to prevent catastrophic wildfires. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. We're taking a deep dive into an investigation about Cal Fire on Forum this morning. I'm Mina Kim. I'm talking with Scott Rod, state government reporter for Capital Public Radio, and Danielle Venton, science reporter for KQED News. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions and comments by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or by calling us 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Just before the break, Scott, Danielle, was talking about safety inspections and the struggle to do those, you've pointed out that another big issue is there are missing reports to the legislature, reports from CAL FIRE about their progress. Why is this so important and why are they missing? So for over a decade now, uh, the legislature has required CAL FIRE to send send an annual report that documents all of their fire prevention activities. So taking a look at where was work done, how much work was done, what type of work, you know, are, are there success stories of, you know, projects that have encountered fire that help protect a community? Where are there areas for improvement? Where does the department need to build out this, this capacity? So a, a really comprehensive and important document to inform lawmakers about, you know, what is, what is the department doing? What, where do we need to go from here? They haven't filed one. Cal Fire has not filed one of these annual, annual reports required by law in at least four years. That's a pretty big gap. I mean, just think of the fires that have broken out in the last four years, some of the most extreme, devastating fires in the last four years. Lawmakers could really use an accounting of what work was done to try to mitigate the spread of these fires and what else do we need to do. If there was ever a time for one of those reports, it would have been in the last four years, really. So we you know, brought this to CAL FIRE and said, where, where are these reports? And they said, we're working on them. We're going to we're going to turn them in soon. Um, But again, these these reports, it's not just paperwork. You know, it's not just filing a book report. You know, this is stuff that has real world impact on the ground. Hmm. Well, let me go to caller BJ in Oakland. Hi, BJ. Hello. Go right ahead. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, I I read that the that the. and the high 90 percent, 96, 97, 98 percent of fires are extinguished in 24 hours. And I read about all of the things that are being proposed for fires, and they all seem to take years to implement. And my question is, what about this year? What about next year? What about five years from now? And, and then I read that these fires are costing the direct and indirect costs are $100 billion a year and $150 billion a year for California. And it seems to me that the, the emphasis has to be on how do you better, even better detect and extinguish nascent fires. Mm. And I don't hear anybody talking about that. I don't hear anybody talking about drones in the air. I don't hear anybody talking about a, a large number of volunteers, uh, for example, who can monitor the videos that they that they now have of much of the state to detect a fire. Hmm. I talked to a guy who works on drones, 
I said, what about putting up heat seek heat drones with heat detection cameras during high fire periods with with planes and helicopters above them circling around carrying water or yeah, well, BJ, let me. I said, well, you know, the guy said the problem is that the artificial intelligence needed to make sure that the fires are being detected uses too much power. And I'm thinking, how about just regular old intelligence? How about getting, you know, people all over the to volunteer yeah. all over the state well, to well, monitor these it, things and fires yeah. And put them well, BJ, let me ask Danielle about investment in fire detection and how it's done. Such a good question. And detection is an important part of being ready for wildfire. But, you know, as he mentioned, um, as he mentioned absolutely correctly, vast majority of fires, upwards of 95 percent, um, are caught really quickly. And that has been the case for decades. What I think is important to talk about is that has left the conditions on the ground where when under certain wind conditions, temperature conditions, humidity conditions, when there's a spark, it is off to the races and expanding so fast that you would not be able, even if you could detect it instantly, you wouldn't be able to get a drone, a a helicopter, you know, a crew there to put it out quickly enough when there's wind. Fires can spot, that means they can be lofted a mile away, or sometimes I've heard even more. The, what, what having a fire-resilient state will really look like is having the conditions on the ground that are resilient to fire. So if sparks do appear on the ground, they don't burn with such intensity. I'm not saying that detection isn't important. And the fire spotting cameras aren't important. They, they totally are. But that is, that is not the answer. It is one component. And real wildfire resilience will look like having the land prepared for when fires break out. Well, the listener writes, Cal Fire needs to go back to its name with the word forestry rather than putting fire first. Wildfires like cancer. Early detection is critical. Cal Fire should reestablish its fire lookouts now. Let me go to caller Roger in Lafayette. Hi, Roger. Good morning. Um, the previous caller was interesting about uh, seeing the fire the moment it starts. And uh, with so many private planes, Civil Air Patrol, commercial planes flying into California uh, could help with the immediate response. But my real comment is that the, the counties here in Contra Costa kind of put me off when I meet with them, is in the wintertime, uh, doing some controlled burns, um, and we got firemen to get laid off. We got inmates that are uh, trained in fire, and uh, their comment is pollution. EPA, I think our governor has just talked about controlled burns in the winter, and when we get a fire in the summer, houses have carpeting, roofing, and the, the air pollution's terrible in the uh, summer, and uh, we got 4th of July. These fireworks are like Russian roulette, Mm. Uh, so they should really clamp down on fireworks. Thank Uh, you. Yeah. 
Well, Roger, thanks for for laying out some of the threats that we face. Uh, We've got a couple of other comments that listeners are making. There's quite a few, actually, that are questions around forest management and trees. Anne writes, I understand all the arguments about how fire suppression during the last 100 years has increased the fuel load. But hasn't the decimation of old growth forest over that same time been as or more responsible? When I hear forest management, it just seems like dishonest subtext to log the last big trees. How long does it take to restore a canopy that naturally reduces fuel. And another listener writes, does CAL FIRE do any research to determine trees better adapted to impending and current changes in climate that might best replace species such as pines that are turning into bark beetle snacks? And secondly, is it possible to prepare areas selected for controlled burns so that the fire doesn't burn trees that you might desire to save? For example, removing debris from around large healthy trees and piling it into open areas for burning. Uh, Danielle, do you want to take that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we are talking about forest management, we absolutely are not talking about removing large trees, and definitely not old growth trees. The 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 forests that we had 200 years ago had very large trees, very resistant to fires, and the the density, the number of trees per acre were many times less than than what they are now. I believe eight to 10 times less. Um, and and there are accounts uh, of, of early settlers in the area who describe, you know, these open forests that you could ride a horse through or walk through with your arms outstretched. Many of our forests now are a thick bramble, you know, and you can't even, you can't even walk through them. So when, um, when we talk about a prescribed fire, what the prescription actually means is the work that that fire is supposed to do on the land. A prescription might have as a component, it is supposed to kill all trees with a diameter less than an inch, for example. And the the prescriptions, you know, or the prescription might be um, even smaller than that, for example. But the you know, no one is going to write a prescription for a prescribed fire that is going to be killing killing the large trees. That is that is um, that is not the goal. It's the small, really flammable material that uh, wants to be cleared out. Hmm. Well, let me go to James in Oakland. Hi, James. Uh, how are you doing today? Great. Go ahead. So my question is: um, Is there a law where all homes should be fireproof and have a built sprinkler system around the home? And at least all brush should be cut back at least about 100 feet and have a 100 feet parameter of sprinkler system. You know, I mean, everybody said that all of that costs a lot. But to me, cost compared to the cost is going to be when you have to rebuild and fire takes a toll. Because I go through California, I drive a lot, and I see all these homes, they're all built out of wood. I see paint cans up against the house. I see brush up against the house. And to me, it's like that's just fuel right there. And just like you said, California is a desert. It's a a state that is naturally always on fire. So when you you put out these fires with the quickness, isn't that the fires aren't doing their job? So now more brush grows, and now you're adding more fuel. So that's why they burn hotter. I don't understand why, why... they don't. They don't have a hundred. Like I said, a sprinkler system law, and 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 a law where your house has to be fireproof. James, thanks. So, and, and I guess what also you're. What you're getting to, James and and Scott and Danielle, either of you want to comment is is in many ways 
the bigger public role here in all of this as well in preventing wildfires. Yeah, absolutely. I would actually go back to you know what I was saying before about shared responsibility, and that includes home hardening and defensible space, which is exactly what James is talking about. Home hardening is when you use materials that are resistant to flames or fireproof entirely, um, and, and defensible space is when you clear um, an area around your home of brush that could brush and vegetation that could burn in a fire and that could cause your home to ignite. So these there are laws in place, especially with new building, new construction for there to be certain fireproof materials to be used. There are defensible space inspections that Cal Fire is tasked with doing. They you know are doing you know a number of them. There have been as our reporting showed, there was a short there is there is a shortcoming with some of these inspections. Um, but this is all part of this sort of bigger patchwork, this quilt of efforts to try to mitigate the damage and impact of fires. With regard to sprinklers, um, that isn't as much an effective method, especially when you see one of these fires coming towards a community. If it's really burning hot, a sprinkler won't quite but it won't it won't cut it. But fireproof, fire-resistant materials on a home, especially decking and siding, that can make the difference. What I really love about James' comment is that I think it gets to this idea of taking these, you know, individual actions around your own home that can that can benefit the common good, you know. And the more your home is protected and ready for fire, the more your neighbors' homes are their safety is enhanced, and the whole you know the whole neighborhood. So um, there are there are so many components of preparing the state for fire, and definitely what we do around our own home is an important part. We're in the most vulnerable time for wildfire in California, and we're talking about CAL FIRE's role not just in firefighting, but also in fire prevention and mitigation. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Maddie writes, my brother was employed as a hotshot in the late 60s. They spent their days clearing brush and cutting fire roads. And when there was a wildfire anywhere, they would go fight the fire. He told us that whenever they fought fires, they were lauded as heroes. But the rest of the time, the community treated these scruffy young guys with suspicion. Sounds a little bit like what you were talking about earlier, Danielle. Another listener writes, what do the panelists think is different in the fire prevention culture in California than in other states where prescribed burning is a regular part of fire safe communities and forests? I'll start with you, Danielle. Oh, that is such a great question. I haven't reported on fire in any other states. So <laughs> I feel like I can only speak to California. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, but in I'm, terms of, yeah, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, I'm happy to jump in. There there are other parts of the country that have a, a lot more prescribed fire, especially in the uh, southeast of the country, Florida and other states in that area. You know, they do a lot more prescribed burning and part of it's cultural, part of it is the environment there. So culturally prescribed fire has just become more of a kind of accepted and my understanding is easily accessible in terms of the need or no need for permits. Um, you know, it is easier to set these prescribed burns in areas like Florida, but also the environment allows for it more, you know, it has a, it allows for a greater window of time to do this work when it's safe. So the fuel, uh, vegetation, moisture levels may be lower. You know, there isn't as much of a chance of a fire to a prescribed fire to escape. Again, escaped fires, even in California, very small, very, very small percentage. But in areas like Florida, the environment allows for more of these fires to be set without as much of a concern that there will be an escape. Mm. You know, one of the things that I found compelling about your reporting, Scott and Danielle, is the fact that, you know, we've been 
we we often feel very much just helpless with regard to the worsening situation with California's wildfires. They're hotter, they're they're burning faster, they're more destructive and so on. But what we've been hearing a lot is that it's not too late if we put in place the right mitigation efforts to also try to take the strain off of the suppression <laughs> needs that come up as a result of that. And what your reporting is telling us is that those efforts are not happening as quickly as they need to be to try to address them. But ultimately, you're bringing this attention, you're bringing our attention to this because it isn't too late, right, Scott? I mean, there is time if we can just put the effort and initiative into doing this ASAP. Yeah, I don't I don't want um, listeners or readers of our story to walk away thinking, well, you know, walk away despondent thinking this is it. There's nothing we can do. But there is a sense of urgency. There is a ticking clock every every fire season, every peak fire season that passes without this work getting done is a threat to more communities, is a threat to, you know, the state as a whole when it comes to air quality, et cetera. It isn't too late. I, I will know I've talked to some experts who are a little more glum or I should have a darker outlook that they believe it is moving too slow and they anticipate that fire will consume a lot of the state before a lot of this work gets done. But uh, many other experts say we have we have the ability to do this if we move quickly. It's not too late, um, but it's a matter of getting the work done. And if I can just tack on to there, you know, there is a vision for a future the possibility of a better fire situation in our state. And that would just improve all aspects of our life. We would have cleaner air. We would have safer water resources. We would have forests more resilient to climate change, safer towns, less traumatized and stressed out firefighters. I mean, there is there is um, every, every aspect of our life would be improved if we could really take more action on fire prevention because suppression has just, you know, emphasizing suppression for decades has just brought us to this place. Well, Jesse writes, prevention is an unpopular expense. When funded sufficiently to be effective, the result is a dearth of negative outcomes that soon results in reducing expenditure for something that results that results in no visible results. So I guess in many ways, Jesse is reminding us that uh, just because we can't see it. I mean, when something is really good, it means you can't see it, right? <laughs> but not to let let us forget how important that really is. And, and your reporting has done that as well. Danielle Venton, thanks so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Danielle Venton is science reporter for KQED News. Scott Rod, really appreciate you as well. Thank you for having us on. Scott Rod is state government reporter for Capital Public Radio. You can check out their investigation. It's titled Cal Fire Fumbles Key Responsibilities to Prevent Catastrophic Wildfires Despite Historic Budget. My thanks also to our producer, Caroline Smith, and as always to our listeners for sharing their reactions, comments, thoughts on what we face as a state. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.